Hey, just wanted to say, well, I wanted to say hi. Good to see you today. Um, the music that we, you got it? The music that we play at the beginning of the service a lot of times is, uh, it's an introduction to something that's coming. So it won't be too many weeks if you're familiar with that song. That's one that the, that the group has been looking at adding and working on. So uh, if, you, if you don't know it already, start to listen to it. I love, I love these Sundays in July. There are a lot of ways that you could describe a church. And certainly one of the words that we use to describe a church is family. And during these Sundays, the whole family is in here. We've got the kids in with us. And um, I'm just, I'm in kind of a fun, nostalgic place when it comes to the word family and Southfield. Uh, it was not too long ago, I think just this past week, that uh, Brandon Davis, that I've known since five years old, and his wife Michelle had a little baby. And uh, this weekend, Rachel Hershberger, who I've known since she was a toddler, bouncing around the room with this yellow hair all over the place, is going to become Mrs. Johnson, if you can imagine. And it won't be too many weeks that we'll be calling her Grandma Dana. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just nuts. I can imagine the grandpa thing, but seriously, <laughs> seriously, it's just, it is, it's fun. It's so fun to be a part of a family. And I hope today that as you, raise, as you stand to sing, you will enjoy and appreciate uh, the fact that you sit today with family and you get to celebrate a father who loves you. Jesus Christ, a son who died to give you life, and the Holy Spirit who is present with us today. Let's stand and sing. <clears throat> Father, I pray that we would stand firm on the hope that we have in you, Lord, in the hope that we have that you are a perfect Father, and everything that you do, Lord, is perfect, and it's out of love, Lord God, for us. Even when it hurts, Lord, we know that it's the best thing for us sometimes, God, and it's a way that you draw us closer to you. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we don't resist your love, and we don't resist, God, what you have for us, but we just embrace you, embrace what you have for us, embrace your love, Lord, and live in that, and live strong and firm knowing that you are perfect and a good Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So this perfect good Father is made known to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus spoke and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Through looking at Jesus, his teachings, the stories about him, we get to know more about the nature and desires of our Heavenly Father. And so we like to read the Gospels and hear what is in there so that we can get to know our Father better. It's a classic story in Luke chapter 10 that's our Gospel reading for today. And I've asked Blake Kirschberger to read it today. Blake has been serving as an intern with us for the summer. He's, he's been around uh, Southfield 
Bethel Rock Run since forever. So uh, uh, many of you are already very familiar with him. He's uh, doing an internship through uh, Abilene Christian University, hoping one day to be a, to be a pastor. And so uh, don't blow it, dude. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and read to us this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care uh, that you have my sister uh, leave me do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's a tough story, I think, for a lot of us who tend to live more in the task-driven world. We feel a little bit beat up by it. You know, I mean, here's Mar- Martha trying to do her best to make sure that the, that the house is prepared and the meal is good and everything else. And, and she's, she's doing this, I truly believe, in order to honor Jesus. And you have Jesus come back and say, we don't need to eat. House doesn't need to be clean. Just come sit with me. And you kind of go, man, really? Here I was trying to do something nice for you. And I, I think really the, the bottom line of the story, if you listen to it, is that Jesus is, Jesus is calling us in whatever we're doing to be present to be present with him and to be present with people. And we know that the things that we do can quickly become a distraction from Jesus, from people. And so, and so he's calling us not so much to say, hey, don't clean the house, don't make the meal, don't do any work. Eh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. That, it wasn't, it wasn't if, as if Mary was a slob, okay, and didn't care about details. She just wanted to be present with Jesus. So in what ways can we be present with Jesus, even when we're in the middle of the task, even when, even when we're doing work for him, how can we be more present with Jesus and more present with other people? So I'm going to have Blake go ahead and read it again, and I want you to listen to it again in light of that. Maybe think of some areas that uh, what you do gets in the way of being present with people. You know, it might be your own kids. You find yourself in the middle of doing so much that your, your little ankle, buddy, ankle biter starts, starts talking. You're like, I got I to gotta do this right now. I got this going on right now. What in your life right now is an area maybe that you're not as present as you could be? And then don't take that as a time to beat yourself up. But here is an, as an invitation from Jesus to be more present with him and with others. Let's hear it again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So let's be quiet with those words for a couple of moments, and then we'll move to communion. Two tables at the back, two at the side front, and the two on the sides of the stage are gluten-free. Just be quiet with that for a moment, be present with Jesus, and then we'll participate in communion.
our servers are going to come down and receive the morning offering. And as they do, I want to tell you about some things that are going on around here. Uh, Brian, my kid, is making up for a hole in his childhood. We, you know, we did a lot of vacations north and west and south. We didn't do very many east. And so he has headed on kind of a history tour along with his wife. So they hit Gettysburg, Philadelphia, and headed on over to Washington. They were there yesterday. So the demonstrations, those were his fault. And then, um, and then heading back tomorrow. So uh, Blake, we, you may have heard the term the Blake over. Blake has been actually taking on some of the role that Brian does and uh, learning the ropes of this whole thing. So how's it going? Do we still have a youth group? Um, I think so. I think we've cut down in half. So oh, he's going to start rebuilding here yeah, soon. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Fantastic. That's great. You've got uh, some activities coming up. What, what's going on for high schoolers today? Yeah. So for Revive tonight, we have our normal, or not normal, but our normal summertime of 1230 to 230, where we'll start week two of FOMO. And then after that, at 410, we are going to the Juliet Mall, to the Cinemark, and watching The Lion King. Um, I, the tickets are, worth ten, are $10, and I've already paid for them, if you've already told me, and so bring all the money to me. Oh, good. So this yes. is one of the first great learnings of being a youth pastor. You pay for money. it, and then nobody shows up. Yes. And you get to eat it, and you don't get to eat. It's such a deal. Right. I live that life. So, yeah, fantastic. That's wonderful. <laughs> what, what's going on for uh, junior high Wednesday? Anything? Uh, we're doing a, no, it's normal time. We're doing a minute to win it tonight, and then we're finishing up the last part of our series called Legacy. Cool. So. Very good. You enjoying it? I would say so. I yeah. Mean, it's been nice not having Brian around, you know, constantly on my back. So. Yeah, yeah. Freedom. He, he can be a good slave master, a slave, a slave driver, no yes. doubt. He's, he's very good at that. Well, good deal. We're glad to have you with us this summer, doing a great job. So um, you'll obviously get your folder every week. Make sure you take the time to look at the announcements listed down the middle, all kinds of things for you to be aware of and get involved with, especially as fall comes forward. So we're going to sing one more song, get you on your feet. And as we do, beautiful song that talks again about our relationship with our Father and about the fact that, that our enslavement is over. And so rather than just singing the words, which are ever so important, I want you to get in your mind right now what, what it is that thing, either in your past or even right now, that binds you. It holds you back keeps you from moving forward. You're just, you're, you're stuck in it. And as you get that, as you get that in your mind, understand that the blood of Jesus Christ not only paid for your sin, but gives you the freedom to live a life of freedom. Choose to be free. Let's stand and sing. Have a seat. Wow. And that is a perfect transition to this. Couldn't be more perfect. 
just ties in in an amazing way. We started the series last week called Baggage. And for a lot of us, we identify our life with our baggage. We, we look at the stuff of our life and we say, I can't do this, I can't be this, this can't happen, that can't happen because of the, the baggage that exists in our life. And I think that song gave us a, a clear, just a clear indication of what needs to happen. Not only what Jesus did for us, but the transition that needs to take place in our minds and in our hearts. Because what did the song say? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. There's, there's a conscious recognition that my identity has changed. That there, there has to be a point that I stop living like who I was and thinking about who I was and start thinking about who I am now because of my relationship with God. And so we talked last week about this series and, and kind of how it came together. We were in the, in, the, in the spring looking at a passage from Hebrews 12 that talked about running the race. God wants us all to run this race with endurance. But the writer of Hebrews says sometimes we, we get tripped up, we get tangled by our sin, we get tangled up in our past, we get tangled up in our baggage, and, and, and we can't run with the freedom with which God wants us to run. And... and I was thinking through that and wanting to talk about baggage that weighs us down. But somewhere along the line, God said, I want you to put a twist on this thing. Let's stop talking about baggage. Let's start talking about luggage. Let's stop talking about the things that weigh us down. And let's talk instead about the things God has given us for this journey. And believe it or not, your baggage, that thing that weighed you down, can be luggage that you use for the journey ahead. If you became a Christ follower, I wonder, the next day, was your, trend, was your personality fundamentally different? Were you a total, I mean, if you, were, if you were a slob the day before you were a Christian, the next day, were you a neat freak? If you, if you I don't know, you name any kind of personality type that's out there. Were you fundamentally a different person? You were different in this way. You were different in that you had freedom from sin, but you were still the same person. There are still parts of your character that that God actually put there and wants there. He loves that about you. That's, That's who he made you to be. And he wants us to be able to see that far too often we view our past as our baggage when in fact, it can actually be the luggage that we need for the journey. It helps us move forward. And so we were actually looking back then at some teaching that we've done in the past, teaching that's really fundamental to to who we are as a church and and who we are as people in Christ. We looked back at this, and I I wanted to look at it differently because I think in the past, we only looked at it from the standpoint of baggage. And I think for a lot of us that, that went through this teaching, we were like, we got to get rid of that part of ourselves. We, we've got to somehow, we got to somehow eradicate that. Problem is you can't eradicate it. It's who you are. It's a piece of your wiring. But part of your wiring went to skew when sin entered the picture. And so what part is baggage that needs to be left? And what part is luggage that we need for the journey that is ahead? You see, the fact is every one of us Every one of us has tried to do life apart from God. Even those of you in the room that are nice. You know, mean people, we get it, right? Yeah, they're trying to do life apart from God. But, you know, if you're nice, you're kind of like, oh, I'm I'm good. No, sometimes nice people are the worst at doing life apart from God. They think they can nice their way through life. 
And it doesn't work that way. You know, it, we think Opie Taylor is automatically a Christian. No, Opie still needs God too. We all need God. And we all try to do life apart from God. We all have different ways of doing it. For some people in the room, you're a city builder. We looked at the city builder last week. The city builder, I think, fundamentally has an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. They can also speak. They're, they're the kind of person that when there's a task, they grab it and they get it done. And they do it by sheer force of will. I will make this happen. In fact, that's their line. I will. I will. And, and when, that, when that city builder is redeemed, when they operate from a more resourceful place... They hear the words of God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he says, when God says, I will. I will make a great name for you. I will bless you. I will give you a land. And as you see that city builder, when they're redeemed, they start to realize that, that God gave them this drive for a purpose. He gave them this drive to fulfill the vision God has for his world. Not the vision I have for my world, the vision God has for his world. And so, and so they operate from that redeemed, resourceful place. Today we're going to look at the whitewasher, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over that right now. But you need to know a little bit about the other two before we get moving too far. The well digger, the well digger tries to do life apart from God by just finding satisfaction in everything they can in the world. It might be experiences, it might be objects, but they're just, they're trying to fill the hole. They feel a hole and they're trying to fill it and so they just start reaching for anything and everything that'll fill the hole. And some things in and of themselves are not bad. Relationships aren't bad. But if I depend on you for what I'm supposed to get from God, I've got a problem. That's not going to work. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to fill a hole in my life apart from God. A lot of times for the well digger, they'll tend to go toward addictive activities because they, they're so into trying to find any and every way to fill the hole. Firelighter. We're going to do the firelighter last. And I, we're doing it last because it drives them nuts. Firelighters want to know. They want to know. And so, and so the Holy Spirit and God are going to work on you over the next few weeks as you have to be patient. But they want to know. They've got to know. This is the person that they can't go on without all the details. And on top of that, they're sure that even though you've given them all the details, there's some detail out there that's been missed. There's some detail out there that we don't know yet. You see, what, what the firelighter tries to do, they try to be the omniscient God of heaven. They believe that they can know everything. And God's saying, I want you, my friend, to learn how to embrace mystery. And the firelighter goes, I don't do mystery. I, no, 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 no. I've got to know. There's some safety found in knowing. And God's saying, I want, you to, I want you to walk the tightrope and trust me. I'm the net. I'll take care of that. It's fun to watch the way all of these different personalities interact together when they're not operating from a redeemed place. The city builder and the whitewasher are interesting as they work together. The whitewasher doesn't want to see reality. They're, they're the kind of person that just, they don't, want, they don't want to see the problems. The city builder is out to get the job done. Human steamroller, right? 
And so the whitewasher confronts the city builder and they, they want nothing to do with them because, because all the whitewasher can see is all the destroyed relationships along the way. And so there's tension there. There's tension between the firelighter and the city builder. The city builder likes the firelighter because they like their information. They get a little crazy with them when they say, you can't do it yet because I need to get a little more information. I need to study this a little bit more. I don't know what's going to happen if this happens. The city builder's like, I just want to get to work. Would you stop? Would you stop holding me up? I don't think a city builder cares an awful lot about the well digger. You know, they just kind of go, yeah, whatever, go have fun. We'll get the job done. We'll get on with it. When they're operating from a non-redeemed place, it can be a pretty ugly situation. And it can be a pretty ugly situation in a church when we operate from a non-redeemed, non-resourceful place. But what we're looking at is the ways in which these can be redeemed and resourceful. We saw about each of these that one of these probably describes you. If you walked away from last week and went, eh, whatever, you're not a city builder, okay? If you walked away from last week and, and the whole drive home, you couldn't stop talking about it, or your spouse couldn't stop talking about it to you, um, you might be a city builder. You might, you know, that, that might be your camp. There's going to be one of these that when we go through it, you're going to go, oh, how did he, cameras in my house? Has he got an Alexa in every church house? What's, what's going on here, you know? Um, so you'll feel that. But the thing that's important to understand as well is that we operate out of every one of these in certain situations, in certain, city, in certain seasons. So we've all had our little, little city builder season. We all have situations where we say, that's too intense, I'm just going to whitewash it. There's nothing I can do about it. So we operate out of all of them at some point, but there is one, there is one that is absolutely primary for you. So I'm going to look at the whitewasher today. And for the whitewasher, there are two main stories or, or areas of scripture, passages of scripture that give us an idea of how the whitewasher operates. When you go back to the book of Ezekiel, you find that um, God, through his prophet Ezekiel, was not just confronting the people. He was actually confronting the prophets of the time. Prophets were interesting. You know, it was, the prophet, it was the job of a prophet to come and deliver the word of the Lord to the king. And unfortunately, if the word of the Lord was tough and hard, if the word of the Lord went against what the king wanted, uh, you, your job security might be short. You might find your head in a basket because you came and you delivered the bad news that God wanted delivered to a king. And so a lot of these prophets adopted kind of a, a job security stance. I'm going to say anything and everything I can that makes the king happy. I'm only going to do happy talk. I'm, I'm, only going to, I'm only going to ever say the good stuff. And Ezekiel comes along in chapter 13, and he delivers a message to those prophets. He says, because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. So they're saying, don't worry, everything's fine. It's all good. It's all good. War is right there on the horizon. No, no, no. It, it, looks like, it looks like a tank, but it's not really a tank. It's a food truck. Don't worry. It's all okay. Peace, peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents. 
and I will send hailstones hurling down, and violent winds will burst forth. And when the wall collapses, people will not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it, those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. So you get the point. Here are people who basically, there was absolute terror on the horizon, and they're saying, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Don't worry, it's all okay. Whitewashers attempt to hide structural problems with a cosmetic solution. Many years ago now, I used to spend the summer, a few weeks of the summer, painting with a friend, Bob Morris. He was a teacher uh, over at Joliet Central. And so we'd go paint for a little while, do some houses, get some extra cash on the side doing that. We went to a house one day in Homewood. And this house, um, my goodness, it was a wreck. It was just, it was an absolute disaster. You went to scrape the wood, and it weren't wood anymore. It was sponge. You know, you just kind of scraped, and the, the wood was just a disaster. And I'm like, what are we going to do? He said, what do you mean, what are we going to do? We're going to paint it. We're going to cover it up. This goes against everything in my being. You know, I, everything. I mean, and, and the lady knew. We said, this, this isn't going to last. You know, that's okay. I just want it to look good. Okay, it's going to look good for about six months. And then the paint is going to start peeling off and landing on your sidewalk once again. It's not going to be a pretty thing. How many times in life have we had something that looks like an absolute wreck and we think a little paint will cover it up? Yeah, it'll be okay. We'll just, we'll just cover this thing and it'll all be fine. Whitewashers will see huge structural problems in life and they say, Sherwin-Williams has 40% off this week. Let's go paint. Let's go paint, man. Let's, let's get this thing covered up. You come over to the New Testament and Jesus uses the term as well. Woe to you. When he says woe to you, watch out. Big trouble. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. So he's talking to the religious people, right? These are the guys who are supposed to get it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites who are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as right, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So the question you've got to ask from a historical perspective is, why in the world would anybody whitewash a tomb? We understand that, that burial practices throughout the centuries and throughout different cultures vary greatly. Even our own burial practices have varied over the past several decades. You know, we've gone from, from cemeteries that have stones that are huge and high to ones that are flattened on the ground so that it makes it easy to mow to now we're not even taking the body to a cemetery, but, but we're cremating it and perhaps taking it to a special place that means a lot to us. Our practices have changed. The practices of the Jewish people have not fundamentally changed over the, over the centuries. The Jewish people bury their bodies above the ground. So if you go to a Jewish cemetery in Israel, you will see vaults on top of the ground instead of under the ground. And prior to that, they would bury people in caves. You know full well from the Easter story, Jesus is buried in, in a freshly hewn tomb out of the side of a mountain cave. 
All right, it's a cave, large stone rolled in front of it. And so throughout Israel, you have caves where there are bodies. I remember we were, we were in Israel, we're driving along the highway, and there was actually along the road a cave with a stone, and the stone was rolled back. It, don't worry, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, another Jesus sighting or something like that, but the stone was rolled back. Obviously, it had been burglarized. But here, here this, this, this grave was right there on the side of the road. Not even like you know a cemetery full of caves or something. It was just along the way. So you go to Jerusalem in the springtime when people are making their journey, their Passover journey to Jerusalem, and they want to be ceremonially clean for the Passover, or they're going to have a problem. If they come in, to- in contact with a dead corpse, seven days, unclean, Leviticus declares. So what did they do? Highway department got out and whitewashed the tombs. They got out there and they put whitewash on the tombs so you would not mistakenly stumble across a grave and become ceremonially unclean. You'd be walking along and you knew full well, that may look pretty right now, it's white, it's whitewashed, it looks beautiful, but on the inside are dead man's bones. And that's the analogy that Jesus uses with the Pharisees to say, in a way, that whitewash is a warning. It's a warning that these people shouldn't be going anywhere near you because on the inside there is only death. Whitewashers can be masters of diversion, distraction, and decoy. They do everything they can to call attention away from the truth, to call attention away from hard things, to call attention away. I don't want to pay attention to the bad stuff in life. I just want to hum a happy tune and walk on by. Just like the city builder, I give you a list of some of the characteristics of, of, the, well, of, of the whitewasher. They're self-conscious, insecure, careful, cautious, and calculated. They're always busy keeping up appearances and impressions. If you have a whitewasher in your family, or if you are a whitewasher, you will ask some variation quite often of how will that look to other people. What's that going to look like? What's it going to look like if we do that? What's it going to look like if, if this happens Image really matters. They conform to what is expected, but please understand that's different than a person who keeps rules. They're not out to keep the rules necessarily. There's a chameleon piece to their efforts where they just want to blend in. They, they don't want to be different than what's going on. They want to blend in to what's going on around them. Of all the four, they tend to be the biggest people pleasers. The city builder, you know you're a city builder in part because you do not have an ounce of people pleaser in you, all right? These guys, they care about what other people think. They're very conscious of not failing or letting, other, of not failing or letting others see their failure. They come across together, very neat, all the pieces, just the way they're supposed to be. But they're insecure, afraid inside though they appear to be composed and confident on the outside. They find it difficult to be vulnerable, to admit when they've been wrong. Very diplomatic. They know the right words to say in the situation. They, 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 keep, they keep the waves nice and smooth, especially in family battles. They tend to placate. If you have a whitewasher in your family, you will be amazed that somehow, even though you have family members that are all at odds, great odds, the whitewasher somehow is friends with all of them and manages all of it, keeps, just kind of 
trying to keep the balance, trying to keep it all working. Unfortunately, one of the sin patterns of the whitewasher is to lie. They just outright, they, they just do not handle the truth very well. Their underlying issue is fear. I think it's part of what was so beautiful about doing this song just before. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You don't have to be a slave to fear. You're a child of God. And their key phrase in a rather high tone, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all okay. That tone, you know, the tone defies it. You know they're not fine. Or don't worry, it'll all work out in the end. Don't worry, it'll all be fine. Now, I think you already see, and we've talked in the past, about how this can be baggage. How this can be a real problem. How if we, how if we, don't, if we don't confront truth, if we don't speak truth, we're going to have all kinds of problems. Not talking about baggage. We want to talk about the luggage. How can being a whitewasher actually be a good thing? Because there are parts of that personality that God wants to redeem, that God wants to use in an absolutely resourceful way. So how about in your relationship with God? If you're a whitewasher, what's important to grow in your relationship with God and to grow in a resourceful way as a whitewasher? There's a term that Jesus uses a lot in the Gospels. You've heard it different ways throughout the years if you've been part of churches, let's say, for the past 50 years or so. Uh, You used to read it from an older version of the Bible, and it said the words, Verily, 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 I say unto thee, ye must be born again. All right? Verily, verily. And then a, a more updated version of the Bible said, Truly, truly, I say to you. And then if you look at like the New, New Living Translation, which we use, it says, I tell you the truth. Jesus would start out many times by saying to a person, this is true, listen, hear the truth. And when it comes to our relationship with God, especially as a, as a whitewasher, Jesus is saying, verily, verily. He's saying, truly, truly. He's saying, I tell you the truth, and I want you to listen to the truth. And I want you to abide in the truth. Throughout the Bible, we see statements like Jesus saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The whitewasher, in an unredeemed way, does not believe that verse at all. They believe that the truth will destroy their lives. It will destroy stability. And Jesus not just some philosopher, Jesus, the Son of God, says no. The truth leads to freedom. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you get that? He doesn't say, I am a truth, one of many truths. He doesn't say, I speak truth. That's not it. He's saying, my existence is truth. My existence is truth. And so if you're going to come to the Father, you've got to come through the truth. You've got to come through me, and I am truth. I love the words of of John when he writes in his epistle to the church in 3 John. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's God's desire for you. That That is a whitewasher, you learn how to take steps in the truth. And even when it's a fearful thing momentarily, You say, walking in the truth is valuable. Walking in the truth is God's desire for my life. God isn't wanting me to whitewash it. God isn't wanting me to cover it up. Whitewashers, sadly, have a tenuous relationship with the truth. They have a tough time with truth. They have a tough time with truth-telling because there's something going on with the whitewasher that's really, really interesting. 
Life is a series of invitations to truth. Think about that. Last week at the City Builder, we saw that God gives us a series of invitations to trust. He also gives us a series of invitations to truth, to seeing the truth, to telling the truth, to receiving the truth, and to living in the truth. And so every time one of these cracks forms in the wall of our life, it's not a chance to go grab some whitewash and cover it up. It's a chance to actually encounter truth and live into the truth. I received some teaching a few years back, and the, and the leader encouraged as part of a prayer to, to answer this question, what is the truest thing I can say to God right now? About my life, what is the truest thing I can say to God right now? And God isn't looking for the whitewasher to say, I'm fine. He's looking for us to be absolutely honest, to tell the truth in our relationship with him. So how about our relationship with ourselves? What, 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 what growth, needs, growth needs to happen here? This is something, I don't know how I didn't see it before, but I think it's very real. The whitewasher, as we said, has a tenuous relationship with the truth, and I think it's because of the way they've seen truth handled in life. They've seen the way other people handle truth. They've seen the way people, others can be reckless with the truth, batter people with the truth. And so what do they do? Rather than seeing that the bat is wrong, they think the truth is wrong. And so they want to avoid the truth. Whitewashers tend to see truth as harsh, as hurtful, as harmful, and as even hateful. We hear it in our own times. We speak the truth of what the Word of God says to people, and what, do we, what are we told? You're a hater. No, <laughs> I speak the truth of Word of God because I'm a lover because I love you, because I care that you hear what God has to say, not because I'm hateful, but because I love you. But the whitewasher has had these experiences in life. They've watched other people use the truth as a baseball bat, and so they only see truth as harsh, as hurtful, as harmful, and as hateful. But what does the Bible say? We speak the truth in love. Truth comes best when it comes in combination with love. Love is truth. Truth is love. They go together. But we need to make sure that truth is delivered in a loving way. And so this whitewasher has the opportunity as a redeemed individual to understand that truth needs to be spoken. But it doesn't have to be spoken in a harsh, hurtful, harmful, hateful way. You see, this is what I love about the whitewasher, and I've not seen this up until now. I, I got to admit to you, you know, I, I come from the firelighter perspective. I think firelighters have the toughest time with whitewashers because firelighters see all the facts, even the bad ones. They see it all, right? And they'll list it and they'll keep digging for more. And if they're, if they're on a committee with the whitewasher, the whitewasher, stop digging, please. We don't want to know more. Stop it. Just stop it. But there's something beautiful about the resourceful, the redeemed whitewasher. The more resourceful, life-giving whitewasher chooses the path of tender truthfulness. They're able to see that the way the truth is delivered sometimes is harmful. It's seen as hurtful and hateful. And they have the ability to come in and say, 
this can be spoken with tenderness. I can speak with tenderness. And so rather than avoiding the truth, rather than owning a bucket of whitewash, the opportunity instead exists for the whitewasher to say, I will have a beautiful relationship with truth. But I will say it in a way that doesn't feel like a bat. And I will help others in the body because some of the other personality types do tend to, you know, it's truth time, boop. Um, they, they can come to that person and say there's a more tender way to say it. There's a way to say it that can be more winsome and attractive, which is actually what Paul encourages us to do and Peter encourages us to do, to make sure that we're speaking in a, in a gentle and respectful way and not just believing because it's the truth, I have the right to hit you over the head with it. And so this, this redeemed whitewasher just can be a beautiful, a beautiful person when instead of hiding from the truth, instead of covering the truth, they're able to say, here's the truth and present it in a way that is in combination with the love that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. So, let me just show you real quick. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more slides, but it's 10.02. Stand up. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you what, we, we firelighters, we like information. So, Father God in heaven, I pray today as we walk from this place, we will not simply use this as an opportunity to turn to our spouse or our friend and say, you're a whitewasher, holy cow. But that instead we will find ourselves to know how best to pray for and support someone who walks in that way. That we will not see them as someone who simply avoids the truth, but that we will see that if they are redeemed, if they are resourceful, they can be some of the most beautiful truth tellers you've given to this earth. I pray that you will give them, the whitewashers, the courage to see the truth and to walk in the truth and to express it with tenderness and graciousness and compassion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go enjoy the warm. We'll see you. Ha uh-huh.